Hello and welcome to the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. And I'm Albert Imperato. Where we help men communicate and build empathy. All right, we are still rolling on our quarantine episodes here. Um, Luckily, a lot of Pennsylvania has lifted and gone into the yellow phase. I know New York is still pretty much on lockdown, but um, you know things are starting to look up. And even though it uh, snowed for all of us this morning, you know I think we still got uh, some great stuff to to look at. So, yeah, I was taking a bed last night and I heard ice. I heard ice pellets um, <laughs> hitting the bathroom window, and I went out to the front porch and turned on the light, and it was completely covered in snow. I'm like. Holy yeah. smokes! I don't. I can't remember a, a May snowstorm for quite some time. I'm not sure I could remember it at all. Yeah, I mean they say in like a lion, out like a lamb. So, well, that's well, supposed to be March though, not May. Oh really? <laughs> it was like two <laughs> fucking months ago, dude. So I'm wondering how it happened. I think it's the the cold. We're both in a in a strangely mellow mood, which I think is good because mm-hmm. we've been so intense. Life's been so intense. Um, you know. It's really actually the greatest blessing in the world when you feel kind of superficially silly and laughing and not worried about anything uh, the way things have been lately. So that's a good sign. You're right. Uh, uh, Pennsylvania is kind of coming coming out from the tight lockdown. Uh, we're hearing rumors of, yeah, we're hearing rumors of it uh, loosening up in up, upstate New York. Uh, oh, wonderful. I think man, yeah, New York City is going to be a while, I think. Yeah, I uh, I think so too. But you know, we're, we're going to figure it out. And one good thing about that is you're going to have a, a good amount of test runs from a bunch of smaller places. And then once New York City comes around to it, you're going to know all the ways to to do it, you know, whenever it's ready to open up. But um, yeah, you see, you have, we have your friend Ken on here. How did you end up meeting him? What's the story there? Yes. Um, you know, when I um, started my feed, one of the um, one of the focuses I want to have wanted to have was on meeting and connecting with uh, other people throughout the Hudson Valley. You know, I've been coming up to the Hudson Valley on weekends for, you know, now it's close to 20 years. And I had not really made a, you know, it's hard on when you're only up for in a place on the weekends, it's hard to meet people. And, um, you know, I just was starting to get to the point where I wanted to like be able to pick up the phone on a Saturday and say, hey, let's go have a beer. And I had no friends. So I decided through, my, at least up here. So I decided through my feed, I was gonna just see who fo- either followed me or people who tagged their stuff with Hudson Valley as a tag. And one of the first guys I came upon was, was Ken Deichler, this fireman dude from uh, uh, Poughkeepsie. And he um, had posted a beautiful picture from uh, Beacon, the town of Beacon. And I, was, I wanted to go there. They have an art center there that I still haven't visited. So of course I was like my entree to, to uh, reach out to Ken and say, hey look, I'll do a little profile of you. Cause I wanted to learn a l- little bit about the town and you know, see if there was any chance that it would be a way to meet people. This was early on with my feed, and you know, Ken and I just we we hit it off. He's a, one of those just upstanding dudes. You know, you just look at his picture. He's like Mr. Fireman, and you know, he's like on a mountain bike, and then he's welding shit. And you're like, wow, this is like the most regular dude ever. And then you get to know him, and the layers and the layers of interestingness about the guy. And he's got a huge heart, and he's got a kind of irreverent uh, approach and wit. And, you know, he's one of those wonderful guys that the more you know him, the more interesting he becomes. So we, we started putting together these hangs and getting together a uh, couple of times together and uh, gotten to know him, uh, his wife. And we built this little crew of maybe a dozen people 
and we get together and, and we're a tight bunch. There's Denim Hangs NYC and uh, Ken is really representative of the best of the group. So that's kind of how we came together. Right on. Well, that's super cool. I'm really excited to meet him. I'm sure we're going to have a lot to uh, talk about here. So I'll give him the official introduction and bring him onto the show. So Ken was born and raised in Poughkeepsie, New York. He started and stopped college a couple of times, became a welder, tree farmer, and eventually a firefighter. Ken married his wife, Megan, in 2016. He also added that he has made too, when he made way too many hobbies to list. So Ken, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure having you on here, and I'm really excited to talk to you today. Thanks, guys. Uh, nice to meet you finally, Adam and Albert. Good to see you again. Well, we you know, absolutely uh, love and feel grateful for your support of the show. Uh, you've uh, listened, you just confessed to us that you've actually listened to all the episodes. I have. You get the prize, you get the, you won the lottery on that one. Um, it was what, really just beautiful because I remember early on, you, after one of the episodes, uh, you called me um, on my phone. I was down in my office and we talked and uh, it was a big moment for me because I, you know, Adam and I did this thing and, and you know, subconsciously I was thinking, what guys are going to want to listen to this? And I'm like, oh my God, it's the regular fireman dude from Poughkeepsie. He actually likes it. And you started talking to me about your life and your marriage and your dad. And that was when we, you and I really had like one of our first like open up and really talk about stuff. And uh, so thank you. I just want to thank you from the beginning for being generous and with your time to listen, but also to communicate how you felt about things. Well, and thank you guys. I think what you're doing with this is uh, worthwhile and important. Um, I think being that you're covering a nice range of, uh, you know, different kinds of people, different backgrounds, different lifestyles, and just uh, it shows that at the end of the day, we all have a lot more in common with one another than we have differences. Um, you know, you might have a different job, you might have a different income, you might have a different upbringing. But at the end of the day, we're all worried about the same thing, shelter, happiness, um, and having a group of people to talk to and, uh, you know, volley ideas back and forth with and just, you know, listen to and talk with. It's a it's a big deal. And it's something that I don't think enough people take advantage of. So what you guys are doing, opening up a forum and, you know, giving, uh, giving something to people that they may not have known they needed. So it's uh, good what you're doing and I'm happy to be part of it. So every time I've ever talked to you, you and I have never had a moment where we, there was like a quiet moment where we didn't know what to talk about. It's just the conversation always flowed. Um, were you always a, a person who enjoyed and was comfortable talking or were you, did, were you kind of quiet and maybe a little bit, uh, not, not so, uh, uh, you know, likely to, to open up to other people. Is this like the new Ken or is it just the Albert and Ken kind of convo mode? Um, I don't know. I, I don't think I've always been open per se. Uh, I've always had a lot to say. And unfortunately in my younger years, I feel like, I didn't use that for good. Um, I might not have thought so much about uh, what I was saying before I said it. And with a core, a core group of my friends, we uh, joke around and say like Kenny 2.0 because in my younger days I had a short fuse. Um, I didn't really hold too much back. 
not that I hold that much back now, but I try to be a little more tactful in how I uh, deliver. So that will come back to, I imagine, because a, a huge part of that change was my wife. Um, and because of her, I am where I am and who I am. So that uh, certainly has, has ba- made a, a huge impact on how I've tried to live my life now. So, and Adam, you look like you had one. Yeah, I just wanted to... Um you know, go back to, to the meeting of the wife and sort of the, the 2.0, because I feel like that had a big impact on my life as well Is you know, meeting, meeting my wife and then deciding that, hey, like, you know, maybe everything prior to, to meeting you um, isn't how I always want to do it for the rest of my life. And now that we're together, there's sort of, um, you know, a new outlook on life that is, hey, I'm going to be with this person. I'm planning to spend a lot of time with the, that person. I mean, we weren't um, married in 2016, whenever you guys um, got it, but that's that's actually when we started um, dating. And, you know, I was like, yeah, like, I, I really see myself like growing old with this person. So I need to kind of uh, step up and kind of change a few things because, um, you know, you, you can't, be a jerk and you can't be a you know, short fuse <laughs> and have a lasting loving relationship. So um, I kind of want to dig a little bit deeper into like the, the Kenny 2.0 and kind of like the, the Renaissance or reformation of our kind of maturity, because I know I definitely had one. Um, it started with getting out of debt and really just saying, you know, looking in the mirror and saying like, I am not happy with who I am and where I am right now. And on that journey of, you know, bettering my financial situation, bettering, you know, my friend circle and everything else, I was able to meet my wife. So in my journey, which is still continuing, I have way too much to learn and not enough time to learn it. Um, you know, I, I, I keep learning, but I keep, I feel like I keep meeting better and, and better people and elevating that social circle and just being able to share myself and really have deeper relationships. So Ken, I'd like to, to ask you, like, whenever you kind of started uh, the Kenny 2.0 journey, uh, what were some of the things that you kind of looked in the mirror or, you know, over time noticed that were really big changes in your life? Um, that's a good question. I'd say some of the biggest changes or um, most groundbreaking moments were realizing that getting angry doesn't really change anything for the better you might feel good in the moment but usually after the fact when you have time to sit back and rethink about what happened and and how you reacted usually you don't feel good about it so that couple minutes of blowing off steam and losing your temper uh you know there are better ways to handle a situation and I'm not going to even try to begin and say that I don't lose my temper now because that would be a a lie. Um, but I try to be a little more, you know, understanding that there's usually a reason why something is happening and I don't have to like it, but that doesn't mean that whatever's causing the situation isn't, uh, happening or important. So I'd say one of the biggest changes for me is realizing that, my emotions and feelings aren't any more important than anybody else's and that losing your temper is only a, a temporary relief. So if you want to really change the situation, you have to 
listen. You have to be willing to, to change yourself. And nothing is going to get better if you're not willing to, uh, to shape yourself a little bit to make it better. So a big part of my, uh, my transformation was listening, trying to anymore or anyway, and um, realizing that you, you have to be willing to change and be better. And if you can strive for that, it might be a very slow process, but if you're trying for it, then you're, you're making the right progress. So how, how um, intense was your losing your temper? Was it yelling? Was it cursing? Was it a fist in the wall? I mean, did you really like seriously uncork and like really lose it? Or was it just relative to how you'd like to behave? So I, when I was younger, I definitely would, you know, lose it. And I was never physical with, you know, my family or anything like that. But I also in school growing up, mainly middle school, um, I wouldn't back down from any kind of altercation. And it wasn't until I started to get a little bit older and realized that my actions don't just affect me. They affect my parents, my sister, um, my name. Uh, I'm not the only one walking around with uh, the name Dykler tailing behind. So what I do affects the reputation that might already be built up from my dad, my mom, my aunts and uncles, my sister, cousins, whoever. If I do something that I can't recover from, it's not just my name that's brought down. It could potentially be anybody else. And when you have an uncommon name, it's a pretty easy uh, dot to connect, you know? So realizing that my actions don't just affect me, they affect a lot more people. And if you love those people and you care about them, you have to be willing to sacrifice yourself instead of, you know, letting it, letting it all out and saying whatever happens, happens. That's not really the best case, I don't think. So, so did you need to begin to already make adjustments to even have the opportunity to get to know Megan or did you come across the force of her personality and she confronted you and really make you start, you know, paying attention and realizing what you were doing? Uh, I'd say I started changing before I met Megan. Um, I volunteered as a firefighter before I became a career firefighter. Um, and I was only what, 16 or yeah, 16 when I started doing that. Um, and the older I got, the more I realized that, uh, you know, there's a lot more than just me going on here. So not losing my temper, not swearing as much, though I still have plenty of uh, progress to make on that front. Um, you know, just as a whole, I think it was a matter of just growing up and realizing, um, you know, being an adult means you have to, you have to change. I met Megan in high school. Um, we didn't really get along too well at first. Um, and then as time went on, we started uh, talking and next thing you know, we were dating and now we've been married. I mean, June will be four years, um, but we've been together for over 13 now. Well, having so. spent time together with you guys, I mean, you, you give off a marital vibe of people who've been together a, lo a lot longer. It's like you feel you give off of a couple who's worked through a lot of 
a, a lot of bumps, not a lot of bumps, but that you have worked through them. But when, when I talked to you a couple of weeks ago, you told me a funny story how, you know, Megan, um, she was kind of very, very good at, at, at uh, harnessing facts and, oh, yeah. and, da- and data to make a point. Like you would say something and she would say, no, Ken, I could prove you wrong and I have the facts. So yep. tell us, first of all, a little bit what, what about her background. Uh, to, you know, is she like scientist, mathematician? Is she in that realm? And how did she break you down? Because that's an interesting process of, of how she took you on. Uh, but, but somehow you, you paid attention and didn't dismiss what she was trying to do and say. Uh, yeah, so Megan, she has a master's in public health. Um, she went to school for international studies, and her and I do a fair amount of traveling together. I, I don't remember how many countries I've been to, but uh, 11, 12, 13, around there. She has been in so many more places than I have. She traveled through college. She's been throughout Africa and did some volunteer work, South America, and She's got a lot of experience that I don't, and I've been opened up to travel and seeing the way other people live and the way other countries operate. And, you know, seeing that there's a much bigger world out there than what you're comfortable with shows that there's many ways to to do something. So with Megan's background and schooling, I started college. I went for a, I started a fire science degree, realized it wasn't for me. All I wanted to be was a firefighter and it wasn't necessary to do that. That wasn't panning out, went back to school for nursing, got halfway through that. And then the fire department came through for me and she stuck it out and made it through college and then started her master's. And we saw each other every weekend when she was doing her undergrad and when she was finishing her master's degree she actually lived in queens uh she had an apartment there i bought my house up here um almost nine years ago now and we were together but apart so that time apart you have to yourself and i like my alone time but when you're missing the person that you want to be with you know it reminds you of how good those times are so when we started living together, I was around her, uh, her way of thinking, her way of working through things all the time. And as you said before, and we've talked about, she's very factual. She uses statistics and she doesn't, she doesn't form an argument based on feeling or opinion. Uh, not always anyway, every so often maybe, but it's pretty hard to argue with somebody who only uses facts and is the kind of person that knows what she's talking about and will be willing to throw up a graph or use a source that's, you know, reputable to back up what she's saying and kind of tough to try to win an argument when you're like, well, I feel differently. Well, it doesn't work like that. You can feel differently, but it doesn't, doesn't mean you're right. And, uh, I think that plays well into what's going on right now. There's a lot of feeling. Um, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of unknowns. And I think if we trust the people and, and listen to people who are experts in their fields, it's a lot easier to get through a difficult time. 
So she's helped me through many difficult times by being level-headed and factual instead of flying off, shooting from the hip and, uh, you know, just arguing to argue instead of arguing to, to settle a, a score. So using facts and, and real data is a, is a pretty solid way to make your point known. And she's taught me that doing some research and, you know, knowing what you're talking about is a lot more effective than just telling people how you feel. Yeah, that's huge. Um, I got two things I want to say about that. The first one um, is kind of what you said about keeping score and proving right. And that's so huge uh, when it comes to an argument, debate, or just uh, like informing someone is that you're not really going to put someone else down or not going for a win-loss. You guys, I mean, she, whenever is she's talking about that stuff, you know, you guys have a common goal of reaching a new, you know, kind of uh, ideal or conclusion or a belief. And she's not saying, hey, you're wrong. She's saying, hey, let me show you something um, that we can both get behind. So I think that's a really healthy way to communicate. And also, you know, she's like, she's not putting you down. It's, it's not, you know, criticizing. It's, it's to help you out. It's to, to pull you up rather than to put you down. And the second thing is regarding all of the travel. And I think that is super huge um, when it comes to really kind of getting out of like your own head is seeing how other people live differently than you are. And I was lucky enough to spend some time in the Netherlands and the Dutch way of life. I was just like, holy cow, man, like they are super into their hobbies um, work isn't the the biggest deal. They all enjoy, you know, a, a good hard day's work, but it's not about what you do. It's about the, you know, the relationships you have, the hobbies you have and what you're doing. I lived in a really small town for your kind of neighbors. And that has really translated, you know, to living in apartment buildings to like, you know, not knowing my neighbors in big cities and, you know, here in, you know, my tiny little apartment, um, you know, I know, a lot of my neighbors, you know, are there's a couple of old people that live here. They knocked on my door last night. It's like, hey, can you help us out with our computer? You know, <laughs> like we didn't know what was up. And luckily my wife has helped them out before. And he's like, oh yeah, they didn't know their Wi-Fi password, you know, stuff like that. But but really being a part in understanding other people's culture allows you to kind of get out of your own head and out of your own little bubble um, and really just experience more. Have you noticed that like that experience translated to any other parts of your life, like work or home, um, just kind of exposing yourself to, to differences? Uh, yeah, hundred percent. So I try to live my life with the uh, mindset of if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And I'm lucky enough to love what I do for work. Um, but in doing that, you have to also be aware that not everybody has that. Um, there are a lot of people that hate waking up and going to their job. They're either not paid well, they're just not enjoying what they're doing. They're in a bad situation. Not everybody is as lucky as, uh, you know, some of us may be. And it's, uh, seeing the way other people live and, and seeing other ways of life and seeing different countries and communities seeing the way people walk instead of drive or the way others eat, the way others might not be able to eat. 
it really opens your eyes, I think. And, you know, it makes you appreciate what you have or strive to maybe be better at other aspects of your life. Do you have one uh, memory of your travels that like, uh, you know, wow, every time you think of it, you just can't believe what you witnessed and like what that taught you about your life or about like, you know, our life here in America? Is there? I don't necessarily have uh, like a, a standout moment that really made me just stop in my tracks outside of, it wasn't like a, like a life altering thing. But when I was, Megan and I were in France one time and we walked around and we're going from place to place through Paris and we got some cheese and a baguette, a bottle of wine. We sat by the river and watching the boats go by of, you know, other tourists and people just out walking their dogs. Adam, this is where you lay in the accordion track. Yeah, please and do. I could be Jacques Brel. <laughs> oh, I have one of the exact same experiences. Whenever I was in France, like my diet was a bottle of red wine, a baguette, and some brie cheese. So yep. I feel you on this one, man, 100. <laughs> and just, you know, if I'm having a bad day, I go back to that moment and I think about just sitting there. The, the weather was beautiful. The people were friendly. Uh, we were on our honeymoon. So obviously things are just, you know, you're on cloud nine. Um, so I think about that and realize how lucky I am to have been able to have something like that to just put me back in a, a happy state. Um, but also seeing that, you know, other countries, there's, there's no shame in what you do for work. There's, um, and this isn't everywhere, obviously, but when you do something for work, you if you go there and you give it your all and you're a professional, that's what counts. Not how much money you make, not um, the title you have either before or after your name. It's just showing up, working hard, and, and making a difference. And I think seeing that in other places makes me hopeful that maybe eventually we'll get there. Um, and realize that every job is important, uh, whether it's a dangerous job or a fancy job or a high paying job, if it wasn't important, it wouldn't exist. Right. So I always try to take a step back and remember that my life is the way it is because of a lot of people doing their part, not just what I've done. I've worked hard. Yeah. I've gotten lucky very much so, but I also had a family that cared about me that, uh, worked hard. We were never, you know, extremely well off, but I was also never wanting for anything. So, you know, I had parents that loved me and worked hard to give me what I, what I needed, uh, along with my sister. And, you know, I, I think just travel and, and staying as positive as possible and realizing that there's, there's other ways to, to do things really keeps me uh as as level as i can be uh i'm sure people would argue with that and be like that guy he's, he's a maniac i don't i don't even know why he thinks that he's he's calm but you know behind closed doors i'm actually uh pretty i try to be pretty uh even going i like to have my alone time and work on my projects and you know just stay busy that's that's how i stay that's how i stay happy i just have these crazy images of you in your garage 
forging metal like that is a very unusual hobby you have like a fire at what temperature in your garage i mean that's bizarro and i mean in in my culture you'd have to have a pizza oven to get those temperatures where what, what are we talking about there and what, tell us what you do in that garage uh a little bit of everything um you know i i got into blacksmithing just it's something that's always interested me i always wanted an anvil i didn't have a reason to have one i just liked them Maybe it was back uh, in the Looney Tune days and watching Wiley Coyote toss him off cliffs. But uh, something in me wanted one, and I I traded a big old metal lathe I had for the first one I got, and had no idea what to do with it, and realized I needed a lot more stuff to even like make anything with this. But you know, step one was complete, and through. Uh, through the process, really, this is where Instagram shined because I met a guy named Jesse Savage who uh, has a pretty a pretty big following on Instagram. And I reached out to him and went up to his shop one day up in Vermont, bought another big anvil, hung out with him and another guy that ended up being fairly local to me and uh, realized how fun and rewarding it could be to just kind of bang metal around. It's You take a piece of steel and heat it up and move it like a bowl of clay uh and you use a swinging hammer to do it so if you're having a rough day if you've got a little aggression to work out you know you heat up a piece of metal and you beat the hell out of it and you know make it into something hopefully that's useful and if you're good enough at it it's it even looks good what is, what is the fuel that you use to create this heat that you need uh, i built a propane forge so i just use regular propane um and it's insulated so it holds the heat in and can get up to, uh, you know, forge welding temperature. I love that you use heat to make things and then you put uh, fires out when, when they're troubled. You have like a Promethean streak in you somehow. Fire is appealing. And I mean, where did this fire thing come? I mean, was this something when you were a kid, like fire had a, had a fascination for you? Because my family always, always made fun of me. I was so excited watching the fireplace that I, when I was a kid, I would jump up and down, like all excited watching the flames. My, that was like a thing. My family always uh, kind of thought it was cute and kind of funny that I was so excited. I'm just curious if it was like something you were very aware of when you were young, like, oh my God, fire is so powerful. You know, I, maybe uh, subliminally something happened and it just stuck with me. I don't know. Um, I, where I volunteered in Pleasant Valley when I was uh, a little younger, my father did when he was... Um, around the same age, my uncle, who I actually work with now in our career department, also volunteered. A bunch of my family were volunteer firefighters, and I, I don't know, was probably about three or four years old. I have a picture of me dressed up as a fireman for Halloween, and the next, next thing you know, I'm doing it. Could you, could you find a couple of those and send them to us to post with this? Uh, I, I probably have one somewhere. You I don't must. know. You my mother, must. my mother most certainly would. How fast I can get that. I don't know. I'll try so, that. So in your firehouse, do you get a conversation going where you're drawing out of these guys, what's happening in their lives? Are you like the vulnerable fireman who's saying, Hey guys, something happened. I'm, did you watch that episode of so-and-so or, I mean, are you like a conversation starter in the firehouse and the one who like, is it, does that happen? Or what are guys in a firehouse like and what do they talk about? <laughs> I don't really draw anything out at work. Um, you know, it's a, it's a weird dynamic. 
at many firehouses, I imagine. I, I know how it is in my station. We work, our group is the same, the same guys every, uh, every shift. So it's myself, my partner on an engine with our lieutenant, and there's two guys on a ladder truck. So the five of us right now, we have an extra guy on the engine with us. So six, we are together 24 hours per shift. So, you know, you get to know one another's personalities, you know, uh, typically people's political leanings, um, you know, how they cook. The most dangerous thing in a firehouse is when it's quiet, either somebody's plotting something or they're not talking because they don't like you. Usually it's just, we're, you know, giving each other a hard time. Um, if we are doing training or, you know, cleaning up after a call, we, uh, we cook together, we eat together, we watch shows together. It's, it's literally like having a second family as cliche as that sounds. Um, but I don't, I don't think so much as to draw anything out. We talk just like you would talk to a, a family member, you know, when somebody's kid is coming back from college or not doing well, or if, you know, somebody's parent is sick, if their dog has to go to the vet, you know, almost all aspects of your coworkers' lives in a way that most other jobs you wouldn't. Um, so as much as like having like real drawn out conversations with guys, like we don't get personal to get personal. It's just when you work together for enough time, you start to just know everybody's life in a way. Um, there's, it's kind of hard to hide who you are um, when you're with these peoples as much as we are. So I don't think it's so much as trying to draw out, you know, facets of people's lives. It's just over time, it's like peeling back an onion. We're all, we're all, uh, you know, bitter and stinky and we'll make you cry, but, uh, you just got to do it a little, little at a time. You, you dig too deep. Your, your eyes are just going to start pouring out, I guess. Cause you know, we're not, uh, we're not the friendliest bunch if you don't know us sometimes, you know? I definitely imagine that. I mean, 24 hours, five guys, like, you know, there's going to be ups, downs, and all arounds, just like uh, a family, you know? And especially in this quarantine, you know, I've had uh, my son, my wife, and my mother-in-law here, so all in a small two-bedroom apartment. So I definitely know how we can get on each other's nerves, give each other a hard time, and also have some really, really great talks and some enjoyable times as well. So... I, I feel you on that quite a bit. One thing I want to go back to um, is before you were saying while you were um, blacksmithing and kind of forging metal is uh, having uh, an outlet for, you know, kind of having a bad day or working out your anger. And that's definitely something that I've found for myself as well. Uh, hockey, I played hockey for 12 years. Um, and then I started weightlifting in college. And then I started training in MMA and jujitsu. And I always feel like I had a physical outlet to really work out some emotions, um, when I needed to, uh, do you think that like, other than, you know, that right there, like prior to that, did you have any other outlets when you were younger, um, to really let go of that or was, you know, blacksmithing and, um, you know, metalworking, you know, your kind of big, big release there. Um, blacksmithing is a pretty recent hobby of mine. And as I said before, jokingly to you guys, I've got too many hobbies. Um, 
when I was real young, I played football. Um, that was enjoyable, but I've always been quite a bit bigger. Growing up, I was always bigger than you know most of the other kids my age. So I was playing with older kids, and sometimes I'd get free trained, and it you know it was humbling from time to time. But uh, going in the, the summer, going into my freshman freshman year of high school, I started going to the gym, um, and that was really when I when I found my uh, my outlet. I lifted and lifted and lifted the gym was walkable from my high school and I'd walk there and I'd spend a couple hours and I'd walk back and either take the bus or have one of my parents or a friend's parents pick us up and that was it so I've always been uh interested in you know going to the gym and getting that that physical exertion that certainly helps mountain biking lately is my my go-to uh method of exercise and I call trail therapy. You know, you're focusing on how you're riding, where you're riding, trying to go faster than last time. And, you know, just being out in nature for me is a huge, uh, it's 100% necessary. I, I would lose my mind if I wasn't able to be outside and, you know, listen to the birds and, and just kind of sit back and take a moment to myself with nothing around. So, really bike riding for me is, is the, is the big, my big release. Um, so I've always had something to, to, you know, use to, you know, I don't know, as an outlet to like shift my, shift my thinking or, or use my hands to do something instead of just dwelling on what I can't control. So Depending on the season, when it's cold and nasty out, I don't I don't like the cold weather. I'm not a huge fan of snow. So a hot forge in a small garage, you know, I've got a, a two-car garage set up as my, my workshop. And I do all my welding and, and forging. And in the wintertime, that's, that's my go-to. I'll go out there and spend a whole afternoon or sometimes just a, an hour or so. So the, so the cars are, the cars are parked outside. The garage is fully turned over to your... Yeah. Yep. Um, that's cool. That's like a values judgment. You know, like you're acting on your values there. Like the car can be outside. I have to, I have to do my work. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I'll move stuff and I'll get Megan's car inside at least, but I, I don't think I've ever back when I did some rock rolling and was into Jeeps. Um, I would park my Jeep in there cause it was short and I could still have stuff behind it. But you know, I, my little Tacoma is still fairly long and it would fit, but it would be a tight squeeze. Megan's car fits a lot easier. As a, as a fireman, do you get a chance to go around to the community, through the community and talk to ki- younger people and be a role model? Because when I, when I see a righteous dude like you, who's just such a kind and generous person, I'm just like, I want this guy to influence the future men of America. Like if, they, if like a bunch of kids could be like Ken, America would be like the greatest country. So I'm just curious, are you getting out there as a fireman and do you get a chance to talk to kids and tell, you know, tell them, uh, Hey, you know, kids eat your vegetables, take care of your body, be a good person, listen to your parents. I, cause I, you just, I want you to influence young people. <laughs> uh, I try to, when I can. So I, at the firehouse, we do fire prevention and I always loved fire prevention. When I was a kid, I knew some of the people that showed up to do it. Either they were friends with my father or another family member. So I enjoy doing fire prevention. Um, 
we do a lot of real young kids. So usually it's just like we'll squirt water out of the fire engine and, you know, do the stop, drop and roll videos and stuff like that. And I imagine at some point it will click for a little kid. And when I am on a, you know, emergency call, if there's a kid there, um, depending on whose turn, either myself or my partner, we swap back and forth riding and driving and the rider does the patient care. So if my partner's doing patient care or talking to somebody and there's a kid there, I'll try to, you know, talk to them a little bit to keep their mind off of what else might be happening. And as silly as it sounds, I had to carry like little stickers that say like the Kipsy junior firefighter on it. And if there's a kid that looks scared or looks like he wants to ask a question, but might be shy, usually you give a little kid a sticker and it breaks the ice. So, you know, little things here and there. I don't, I'm not, like, uh, I'm not a parent myself. I don't really know what it's like to raise a kid by any means. Um, the biggest issue with quarantine right now is my little nephew. I haven't seen him in a couple months and that kind of stinks because he's, you know, starting to walk and he's turning into a little human now. Um, but I try like my neighbors across the street, he, they've got a couple young boys and one of them wants to make stuff all the time. So, I bought a small beat up anvil and made a stand that is the right height for him. And he'll come over and tink on it every now and again. And, you know, he seems to love it. My neighbor's excited about it. And I guess some of his uh, friends saw what he made and they want, the parents are like, Oh, will you do classes? Will you do this? And someday I would like to have some, some ability to maybe do something like that. Um, I feel like working with your hands, teaches kids from a young age that you don't you don't have to live by what a degree on the wall says about you you don't necessarily need to go to college to be successful or happy um i think making things or just being active and working towards the greater good is more important than what uh what your success is you know marked up to on a piece of paper so hopefully someday I'll be able to do something like that. But right now through the fire department, I'm kind of limited as to, you know, my, my interaction with kids outside of fire prevention, or if we're on a call or if they stop by and want to look at the fire trucks, we'll always do that. But, um, you know, maybe, uh, maybe when I retire, I'll be able to, to do something full time to, you know, show, show what else is out there or what, uh, what possibilities could be, could be had. So is, is there one show you've ever seen on uh, television or one movie that actually captures like something of the real vibe of being a fireman in your, in your eyes? What should we tune into? Yeah. Rescue me. Uh, there are a bunch of derelicts. It's ridiculous. They fight with each other and they're just pretty much, they're kind of messes. You know, I, I feel like every fire, every firefighter in some way, they're uh, kind of damaged souls. You almost have to be a little out of your mind to do it sometimes. Um, by no means is our job as dangerous as some people think. Every second of every shift, it goes from zero to 100 very quickly. But a lot of times it's pretty boring and we're just, you know, doing uh, the monotonous stuff, testing hydrants, cleaning equipment, uh, testing hose lines, you know, stuff that isn't, it's not uh it's nothing exciting it's it's boring and just regular stuff 
is keeping a fire truck like really spot on clean and looking beautiful. Is that aesthetic or is that practical as well? Is that just like, we're going to make this thing last and stay in great shape? Or is it like, Hey, a discipline thing. We have to be on top of it. It's got to be spotless. I've, I've, I'm always amazed when I walk by a fire truck, just how beautiful they are. Uh, I think it's a little of both. I, I always joke around and say a, a clean truck is a happy truck. Um, you know, dirt hides a lot. Grease hides a lot. Um, I'm sure it is a pride thing. It's a, we're, the fire service is very traditional. There's few things firefighters hate more than change. So, um, you know, I'm sure there's some people out there that would prefer a bucket brigade or a horse and buggy over, over what we've got now. But, uh, keeping, keeping the equipment clean is definitely important. Um, it essentially the equipment we have at work is paid for by everybody that's paying our taxes. So if it looks like crap, that's not really a good look, you know, people deserve to see the equipment that they're buying treated well and hopefully be effective. So I think it's more just, um, you know, they're expensive, they're important and you, you gotta, you gotta take care of what takes care of you. Well, in American society, there's so many types of uh, people, you know, when you're, when you're a kid, you know, and you're learning about professions that people do, you know, certain uh, professions have a certain kind of like associations and firemen always kind of fall into that heroic category. Uh, you know, in, in recent times, policemen, uh, you know, have gotten a little bit into a somewhat of a gray area. You know, they mean, policemen mean very, very different things to different groups in our society. Uh, to one group, they're heroes. To another group, they're they're sometimes even villains. Uh, this the fire my, firemen seems to be that group of people, one of those rare group of people in American society that that you know blue state, red state, everybody. It's kind of hard not to like dig the firemen. So I I see you guys as as a sort of a connective tissue, like one of those things that that people all basically agree on. Teachers to a degree, although we don't value them the way that we should. The teachers don't get the support that they deserve and there's all kinds of politicking going on where uh you know there's there's demagogues using uh teaching and, and education to, to to be a divisive is- issue so that's another reason why i'm so into firemen i, I i'm into those people that connect that's sort, they're sort of connectors you know people have a positive view of them um i'm just wondering i mean i want to get too deep in the weeds but i'm just curious you know we're we are going through difficult uh times with what's uh, going on in our society. Any any words of advice for uh, for friends and, and and guys out there right now who are going through tough times? Some of the the sort of mental things that you do to keep yourself sharp and keep yourself positive right now. I think the biggest thing is talk to somebody if you need if you need to. Uh, there's no shame in seeking help. Uh, mental health is something that's all too often overlooked. Um, it's something that's carried and continues to carry a stigma for whatever reason. Uh, my partner at work, I've known him before either of us were professional firefighters. Uh, we're lucky enough to work together in the same station on the same rig. You go through a bad call, you have somebody that, you know, you can really talk to. Um, I have a wife that's very supportive. I've got, some friends that I've had since we were little kids, uh, a huge chunk of my friend group we've known for majority, the vast majority of our lives. Um, 
you know, I think the biggest thing is try to find somebody who will listen, try to find somebody who you can learn from. Um, there's no, there's no shame in reaching out or trying to get help and just, again, uh, another cliche that's said all the time, but I don't think listen to often enough is treat others the way you want to be treated. Um, I think empathy is lacking. People are often willing to sympathize with somebody, but they're not willing to put themselves in their shoes or think about what might be causing their life to be the way it is. So I think empathy is something that, you know, we could all benefit from, uh, realize that you might have it a lot better than you think you do. There's always positives in every situation. And even when things are going south, uh, it's, it's a learning, learning experience. So it's something that you can try to avoid. Um, and I guess just, you know, reach out, be willing to talk, be willing to listen and, you know, treat everybody the way you want to be treated. Yeah. That's a great way to, uh, to wrap things up here. Um, you know, Hey, I mean, that's, that's our whole show is vulnerability, communication and empathy. So well put together. Um, and I just want to kind of, uh, wrap up what, what you're saying here. And is, you know, a lot of themes that you talked about today, Ken, were respect, community, service, and sacrifice. And with those aspects, um, they all can help us communicate better, be more accepting of our vulnerability, and also build more empathy. So I really appreciate you coming on here today and talking with us. It was a pleasure to get to know you. Always you know, I always like meeting say, Ken, Albert's you friends. I, <laughs> you, and I have, you and I have really had some wonderful conversations and you're so humble and self, self-effacing. And I remember a couple of times telling you, oh, you should come on the show. You'd be such a great guest. And you'd always be like, oh, I don't know. Oh, I'm not sure that I'll be, you know, this or that. And I could just tell you, Adam will not need to edit a word that you said because you're articulate, you're eloquent, you're humble, you're, you're not, you're just, you, what you say has such a beautiful, a beautiful uh, uh, honesty to it. And every time I talk to you, I'm like, I'm glad I know this dude. You never let me down. Well, I appreciate that, Albert. There's, uh, there's always room to grow. I've, I'm far from being the person I want to be. Um, but, you know, you the way you eat an elephant is one bite at a time. So, you know, you take, you take it one piece at a time and, and work towards the greater good. And, you know, I'm sure somebody out there that knows me might hear this and be like, man, this guy's out of his mind. It's not, it's not the person I know. And I hope that's not the case, but you know, you can only try to do better than you did yesterday. So I think if all of us do that and, and, uh, you know, just try to be better, be helpful and, and be there for one another. We'll, we'll all get through this uh, storm we're in. Absolutely, man. Um, thanks again for coming on here. I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. This has been another episode of the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. I'm Albert Imperato. And I'm Ken Dykwin. Thank you for listening. <laughs>